Hello there. Welcome to the latest episode of Watch This Movie, Mike. I am your host, Mike. So before we get into this episode's movie recommendation, or pick of the episode, or whatever you would like to refer to it, I just wanted to uh, let everyone know that, uh, yeah, the shows have been a little bit delayed. From last week going into this week, you know, your boy uh, had a jury duty assignment, which just wrapped up today. And uh, it kind of kept me away from all the uh, extracurricular free time that goes into, like, uh, you know, editing, podcast, post-production, all that stuff. So, luckily, my jury duty only lasted a few days, and uh, I will be back to my normal schedule. So, I figured, hey, let's get right back into podcasting and editing and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever served jury duty before i actually uh hadn't served in over 20 years when i was like 19 years old maybe man the the things you remember about the experience you know they, they carry over for the most part it felt like very similar but i i really dug the judge in this in this case and um i, I always think our legal system here in the good old us of a it's very uh, interesting. It's it's kind of fascinating when you get to see it. And unfortunately, it doesn't always seem to work like it's supposed to. But in this case, I felt like it did. Now, the case is officially wrapped, so I am allowed to talk about it. It was just a... Uh, it was a very, I, I would say, minor case. Uh, a few misdemeanor counts, including driving under the influence. And, uh, I you know, I thought the... Uh, prosecution did a valiant job but the defense was excellent i i I felt um the defense kind of had good answers to make to get across reasonable doubt and uh, that's really all you need in our legal system at least in criminal cases i think civil might be a little different but in criminal cases you know that's why they say got to be guilty beyond a reasonable doubt otherwise you go with not guilty yeah i thought deliberating with the jury was cool. I mean, we were mostly on the same page. We, we did. Some of us had to do a little bit of swaying, or you know, and we were trying to be swayed. But for the most part, the deliberations lasted just a day. Like I said, it wasn't a major case. Thank goodness. Um, I am fortunate that my work pays my full salary while I'm out on jury duty, but. It seems like there's always some stipulation to it with a lot of companies, like they say, but if it starts going like beyond a couple of weeks, I don't know. I don't know if like what would happen, but that didn't happen here. But I'm glad to be back, because I really meant to have this show out sometime last week, and it's gotten pushed to the middle of this week, along with my other shows. So, you know, with that, I guess we'll get into this episode's movie recommendation now you know i come from a horror movie background just that was kind of my first love when it comes to cinema and i really like going back and watching older horror movies when possible filling in gaps to see you know what i had missed before and uh there's an old italian director who's no longer with us that was definitely inspiration to some of my favorite directors and uh he's done a ton of films and one i had actually seen like a long time ago but not enough to remember everything um is mario bava so if if you are 
familiar with him a little bit. Maybe you've seen this movie. I mean, he's known for the movie Black Sunday, Kill Baby Kill, The Evil Eye, Blood and Black Lace. But today's uh, recommendation will be none of those, but instead it is going to be Black Sabbath. Now, this is a, a horror anthology, three stories. Uh, Boris Karloff, famous Boris Karloff, is the host of the uh, anthology. And, you know, I think all three stories in this movie are strong. But I've got to say, the the third story, the final story, um, the drop of water is just over the top, creepy as hell. And uh, the other main thing that jumps out is the cinematography, the use of color, like damn near every scene in this he's got like the purples the blues the greens the reds just the hue there's contrast all the time different parts of the screen it's just a beautiful movie to look at and keep in mind that this movie came out all the way back in 1963 so you're seeing some of these techniques for the first time that eventually make their way to other directors other countries other films and but it's always nice to see like where some of this started at so I highly recommend uh, Black Sabbath from 1963, and I want to say, yeah, it's it's currently on Shudder, um, which is like the horror streaming service, and how about a fun fact from Black Sabbath, because I didn't even know this, although it, it makes sense, um, because when you, when you say Black Sabbath, I think the first uh, thing that comes to people's minds is the... the the heavy metal band Black Sabbath, or at least, you know, I don't know, some people might not refer to Black Sabbath as heavy metal, but at least they're like, you know, the godfathers, grandfathers, the OGs of the genre. They, you know, tons of hits. Ozzy, Ozzy was the lead singer for a good while. Um, Eventually they went on to be fronted by Dio, but uh, more to this point is, I guess Black Sabbath was originally uh, called Earth. That was their name, Earth. Not not quite the same uh, cool ring to it. Nor does it really match their sound, I guess. you know. Um, but as the story goes, is they were playing a small club in England, and Black Sabbath was actually showing at a theater across the street from where they, you know, whatever club they were playing at, and the band couldn't, you know, overlook the fact that so many more people were in line for Black Sabbath than to see them. So uh, they had the idea that, well, horror sells tickets, and they decided to change their name to Black Sabbath, and the rest was history. And I gotta say, the name Black Sabbath 100% goes with their music. I mean, I'm not sure if all the listeners are familiar with Black Sabbath's music, but... Listen to a couple of their songs, and you understand why the name Black Sabbath kind of fit. So I guess, you know, there was some fun uh, trivia mixed in there with the movie recommendation. Now, the other thing I will say is, one you know, a big reason I am recommending this one over other Baba movies, because plenty of great Baba. If you like the style, you, you like the style. I think anthologies are a great way to jump into like a new genre, a new director, a new style, something you haven't seen before, because the stories in them obviously tend to be shorter than one feature-length um, story. So, because you get a variety 
of stuff going on, you know, if, if you're not a huge fan of one story, you won't have to wait that much longer until something new pops up for you to check out. Um, although I think, like I like I already said, I think this whole uh, anthology is strong. The music is great. Like I said, the cinematography it just is a beautiful movie to look at. Great acting, and yeah, the, I, I think by the time you get to the drop of water, the last story, you're already going to be fully on board. But that one just puts you over the top. It's super creepy and uh, well worth the wait to get to it. So that's why I'm recommending Mario Bava's Black Sabbath for everyone to watch. And let me know. You know, maybe you've already seen it and you got opinions about it. Maybe you haven't seen it yet. And this will get you to check it out. But yeah, look it up. Check it out. Black Sabbath by Mario Bava. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get into the show. Thanks everyone for coming back to listen. And uh, let's get to it. Alright, so let's go ahead and bring in our guest of the episode right now, Mr. Bo Ransdell. What's up, Bo? How's it going? It's going great. Uh, as we're recording this, it is a Sunday morning. I have coffee, and as long as uh, I have coffee and, you know, continue to breathe on this side of the flowers, I'm uh, in pretty good shape. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I have a giant uh, jug of ice water. Coffee will be my goal at the end of the episode um, to go make for myself and probably my wife. So with that uh, beautiful, huge cup of coffee that's coming, um, let's get right into this. Yeah, it's... Uh, early Sunday morning over here on the West Coast, but hey, I've done it before. It's, it's part of the uh, podcasting life, all sorts of times and days. You're recording nothing new to me, but uh, yeah, th- uh, this is a pleasure to have you join me on this, and you know, for people that aren't quite as familiar with Bo, I, I figured, you know, I would ask you a couple questions, uh, just getting to know you, so for those that do know you, they probably it's mostly probably from horror podcasting, maybe Legion Network. Uh, you have dabbled in the the video podcast. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know if there's like a short version of that yet. Like, a, do people say V podding yet or anything? Like, uh, I, like a a vlog? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess you know. I guess vlog would be the closest. I you think know, that so. we have. Yeah, it's it's tough to say. Uh, I I don't know exactly how uh, you would refer to it, but yeah, I mean, it it's as time allows. Like I enjoy doing the video stuff, but as you well know, just doing podcasting in general, uh, getting people's schedules to line up and making sure that their connection is good and the mic is good, and you know they're not they don't have state secrets behind them on the shelf or whatever. <laughs> you know you you want to take into account people's privacy and so forth. And so it, it's, it's tough. I would love to do more of it. Um, but it's fun. You know, I, I like Duncan and I do it every couple of weeks. Like those are recorded live and the video for those goes up on YouTube. And I like those a lot because, you know, we don't lean into visual jokes, but sometimes just the expression on, 
the other person's face when you say something outrageous or ridiculous or controversial uh, can be a lot of fun. It, it feels it feels more real at times than just the audio only version of the podcast. But yeah, mm-hmm. I dig it. I think it's fun. Yeah, and I find that like uh, recording with video. I, I think there's less, uh, I don't know if I would say pressure, but l- almost less self-critique than going back in, in this one aspect. Because obviously with video, well, I, I, w- I would say certain people's videos production, there's tons of editing and fixing up that goes on afterwards. But there's also, I would say, an aspect to video that allows the flow of conversation more so where with, with audio, when you're dealing with the audio file, sometimes you want to, break out every extra piece of dead air or every um or mm-hmm. you know all this extra audio where with the video where it makes sense within the context because you're actually seeing the people it's like you don't even feel the need to like cut out some of that stuff so it kind of help you know helps oh for sure yeah there there is a real uh, like when we do the pick six podcast um that is one where the 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 editing process is really really tough um because of just what you're talking about like cutting out all the ands and ums and we go so far as to cut out breath and <laughs> you know so you don't hear people inhale and exhale on on that show in an effort just to make that as quick a show as possible um and also it's a momentum thing that like when you're listening to that show, the conversation happens so quick that we're, I, I think the goal is just to make it so that people can't turn it off because it doesn't ever stop. Like there's no pause, um, which from a biological point of view, probably not a great idea because it's when people take a breath and, and when they pause that as a listener, you process what they say. But I also think that's a name of that kind of editing is like, we don't want you to think for two seconds about what you're hearing. Otherwise you might think better of listening. Um, so it's, it's a real like bullet of a podcast, it, as, even though they're long, they're a couple hour episodes, but they just truck, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah it's it, different schools of thought, but I hate editing that show because it's a real pain to do it. But um, I'm generally happy with the results. Yeah, I mean that's usually for us. I, I don't. I would consider myself definitely as an amateur. It's like that's uh, that's where I want to be. Just get happy with the end result, and I'm good to go <laughs> with the limited time and resources, right? Yeah, and you know it's the decision you make early on when you when you're starting a podcast of any kind of like what what is this format going to be? What is it going to allow? How, how is the editing going to work? And that's why when I do the dark parade stuff, which is the horror podcast that I do, um, there isn't a lot of editing with that. It's a lot more conversational. And I, I thought that was the because of the experience I had editing with pick six movies. I wanted something that I could turn around a lot faster and not spend hours on the edit. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I just make notes as I go through, uh, you know, if I'm recording something, I'm coughing or I lose my train of thought or whatever, I'll just make a little note like, okay, here, I need to do an edit at this time code. Um, but I don't, I don't get crazy about all the ands and ums and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, what I've, I've been doing this for a number of years where I, my old setup, I could actually record uh, Skype calls through my editing software, and I was able to always have the options open where I could just click and set a marker on like any part I felt I needed to go back and look at for whatever reason. Like I wouldn't always have a description, but I would just have that visual marker to say, Hey, at this point something mm. happened that you might want to scratch out. Or, and, uh, the weirdest thing happened is I, I moved my setup inside. I bought a better microphone and, uh, suddenly for whatever reason, when I would, tried to do the same thing it the audio program would pick up my uh audio but not uh everyone else on the call so now i'm uh editing the old-fashioned way just listening through the uh audio file afterwards but uh you know I'll, eventually i'll have time to investigate what the issue was but for now i'm just getting by uh the way it is um but hey i guess that's podcast editing 101 to start off the uh the show <laughs> right right you never for, know where it's all, gonna go right <laughs> right for all you burgeoning podcasters out there you can uh just cast your mind forward to after you've done eh, four or five episodes and then you can <laughs> just start genuinely complaining about the edit process that's really one of the uh the joys of podcasting is is commiserating with other hosts about how much of a pain that is um, cause oh, yeah. nobody likes it. Nobody has a good time editing. Um, or at least very few people that I know, maybe Richard Glenschmidt from, um, hello, this is the doom show, which is a, a personal favorite show of mine. And it, I think you, you can hear in that show when he gets bored, cause he'll start playing around with the, uh, the, the tone and pace of the voices, and it's very entertaining as a listener, but also I'm pretty sure that that happens just because as Richard's going through the show, he'll be like, I'm, I'm starting to get bored, bored with this. And that means that the listener might be bored. So I'm going to do something weird in the editing to kind of keep it moving and keep it interesting. And, but I really like it. I think that's cool. Yeah. And that it's also one of the things where it's like out of a cast of like, four or five from the show like the one guy always relates because it's the one person that handles all the editing duty and they're like yep my even yeah. my own co-hosts don't know what it's like <laughs> yeah yeah i if, if you're hosting a podcast and don't and have never done an edit on one then you you don't have an appreciation for things like keeping the conversation moving and you know, all the things that make the edit easier because you don't have to spend a bunch of time cutting stuff out and cutting around stuff. And, and so that, you know, I probably make the mistake of filling gaps where they don't need to be filled just because I want the editing to go smoothly. And I'm like, well, if I'm talking, it may not be gold, but it's not silence. And the silence is the thing you have to cut out because there's nothing as a listener, like I listen to a lot of podcasts. So, and there's nothing I like less when I'm listening to a podcast than just a big honk of silence that hasn't been cut out of it. Cause it, that feels like I'm wasting my time. You know, that's all just dead air. It is the same thing with like being a DJ, you don't want dead mm -hmm. air. And anyway, so I, I get, I hope everyone's taking notes if you're planning on being a podcaster, cause this is all, this is all fantastic advice. 
Yeah, I, I feel like uh, you've helped me create a new sidecast within a sidecast. That's uh, yeah, right, <laughs> right. Just how how to right. podcast one hundred and one. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I figure you know my listeners right now. I'm sure some are familiar with you. Some maybe have heard the name. Some maybe not at all. Uh, you've been podcasting. Uh, I'd say mostly with. Uh, horror movies, the genre, all things horror Mm -hmm. for a good while now. Um, But maybe people don't know what really got you into podcasting. As far as I remember, because even this time period is starting to get hazy for me a little bit. I think I first heard you when you came onto devour. I think you, you joined them at some point and I'm trying to think like, I want to say I knew you or knew of you, before that maybe your name but i'm like i i don't know if that was his first major podcast or not but how did you first get kind of mixed up in the podcasting world well i we started a long time ago jamie and i had um a a blog jamie now salmon's jenkins at the time and I w- I started a horror blog years ago. Um, I don't even remember the date. I mean, it's been 15 years ago, maybe, maybe more than that, maybe a little less, but anyway. Um, and ahead of last podcast on the left, it was called last blog on the left, which I think they have since sort of taken that domain, but anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, and so we did, uh, this was in the early, early days of podcasts. Um, and Jamie and I decided, like, oh, let's do a recorded part because the worst thing about doing movie reviews is writing them. And so let's <laughs> just do it all as part of a conversation. So we started that. We did that for a couple of years. And then, you know, life just happens. And I, I got busy with some other stuff, as did she. And so we ended up kind of shutting that down. And so I didn't podcast for a while after that. And I was, you know, I'm a horror nerd. I I still watched horror movies and still had plenty of opinions about them, but I was keeping them all to myself. And then Jamie had started doing Devour uh, with David, David Anders. And she invited me on for a guest spot. And I had so much fun because at that point, I, I didn't have to edit any of the Devour stuff. And so... We and I, I didn't for most of that run, and so I I did a guest spot, and then I just kept coming back until eventually it was just like, oh, okay, I'm part of this show now, and it was fairly early on. I want to say it was like episode thirteen somewhere in that neighborhood that I jumped on, and so I did devour for a long time, and then just sort of branched out into doing a handful of shows that um, I've been doing for a while. Like I've been doing pick six movies now for five ish years, somewhere in that neighborhood. And is that right? Yeah, it's probably close. And um, been doing Duncan and Bo come correct with Duncan McLeish of podcast under the stairs. We've been doing that for seven or eight years and then uh, started the dark parade recently because those two shows are a lot of fun, but you know, my first love is always horror and I wasn't really, 
you know, on either of those shows, we don't necessarily spend a lot of time talking about horror movies. And I also wanted to use it as, as an excuse to kind of keep up with current releases as well as, um, exploring my fascination with certain subgenres. And so dark parade, I kind of picked that name because I wanted it to be a lot of different stuff and didn't want to, um, marry myself to a single format so that I could, you know, sort of decide, Hey, this week I want to do a discussion about this found footage movie. And this week I want to have one of those conversations like we used to do with Jamie and I, where we just talk about movies that we've been watching. And then this other episode that I want to do a deep dive on a movie with a guest and being able to do all of that stuff within the same, uh, under the same umbrella of a podcast has been, really really fun and i've had other shows here and there over the years um but those are kind of the mainstays and um but yeah i mean i I really got into it just because i always wanted to radio but i didn't want to dj i just wanted to talk about horror movies and then when Mm -hmm. podcasts happened it was like oh well this is exactly what i've wanted to do uh so yeah so you know that got me into it and I've taken breaks over time. The one between last blog and devour was the longest. Cause I probably didn't podcast for several years, but once I started doing devour, it's, it, it's been pretty, it, it's been a staple of my life since. Yeah. Then. It's been steady. You've been around, <laughs> you've been around always involved in something, right? I like, that. yeah, it's never, it, no, not too much time goes by where I don't at least see your name come across my feed somewhere for something. So it's, it's been a steady, uh, steady diet of Bo Ransdells. Yeah. Ever since. <laughs> we, yeah. I mean, um, some would say that is not a good thing, but yeah, I, I because I, you know, I, at the end of the day, I love the genre and I love to talk about it. And I love to, to, to think about it. And as I get older, you know, my, my background is in sort of literary analysis. And so I like to dig into that stuff, you know, that, that's some of my, my favorite things to do. Oh, I mean, aside from the dumb found footage movies that I just love despite myself, like I, I don't have a good explanation for any of that, but when I'm, mm-hmm. when we're doing the deep dives on movies, I really like to dig into them and, and, you know, talk about, as, as you know, like you've been on dark parade. So, you know, we talk about theme and, uh, get into the the characters and uh, you know try to explore the movie in a pretty thorough way so that both me as a creator and the listener leaving those episodes those deep dive episodes that you feel like I have a pretty good understanding of the context in which this movie was made and what the filmmakers were going for uh or in some cases, just like, hey, this is a really silly movie, but let's kind of talk about it in in in, um, in terms of when the movie happened and and what makes it worthwhile for discussion in some ways, rather than I I you know my criticism of a lot of horror podcasts is uh, a lot of times it ends up just being you know hey this movie's cool yeah this is cool and it never scratches the surface beyond that other than to, to sort of do this listing 
you know, like seven horror movies you can't not see before you die or whatever. And, and that stuff has its place and it's interesting uh, to some extent, but you know, I'm just, I, I spend too much of my life writing essays and reading essays and stuff like that, not to get at least a little bit scholarly with it without trying to make it too dry. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And I, I like the way you described, um, kind of like the feeling of, uh, you know, wanting to be a radio DJ and then like, this is kind of like the next thing be, or the next best thing, because, yeah, I just want to or you just wanted to talk about horror movies in that kind of format. And I found that kind of poignant because I remember I, I, I got to say, wow, it's been at least 20 years, maybe or 20 ish or just around 20 is I remember working at jobs at the time and uh Telling people, you know, most people that would have headphones on were listening to music at the time and people would ask what I was listening to. And I remember just saying the word podcast and you would get these looks from people. And what was the way you would describe it at the time? That's exactly how I described it. It is like, well, think of a radio show, but it's recorded and you're just listening to like a recording of it. Um, but, you know, in this case, it's designed to be recorded and listened to after the fact. And it it kind of explained it well to people, but mm-hmm. podcasts were such a small thing at the time that like the majority of people weren't really listening to them, at least at work. And then now fast forward to now and it's like, it, I'd be surprised if most people with headphones in aren't listening to some podcast about whatever topic, you know? So it's, it's definitely a whole different world just when it comes to podcasts. There's it, it, I'll, I'll discover a podcast now that has like millions of downloads and I'd never even heard of it because of how mm-hmm. big the market is out there. And sometimes I'll think it's really good and be like, how did I not know about this? Yeah. Yeah. But as you said, it's just, there are so many shows out there and there are so many people creating at this point that you just got to pick the thing that you're into. And there's absolutely going to, be, I'll tell you here with, with some exceptions, because one thing I have found a real uh, problem finding is a podcast that's about English grammar and uh, which, you know, you have to be a special kind of nerd to be on the hunt for one of those things anyway. But I happen to be such a nerd and was looking for a good grammar podcast. Doesn't seem to be one, but eh, what do you got to do? Uh, worst problems uh, facing us in the world for sure. But I was uh I was a bit disappointed. But yeah, but uh, that that exception, that weirdo case aside, there are in, incredible uh podcasts on just about I mean, obviously like, like true crime and horror movies and movie history and I mean, you name it and there there is a show that will help explore history and et cetera, et cetera. It's it's so good. <laughs> For sure. Um so since uh you know since horror is your genre i mean obviously you 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 know you take in all sorts of cinema but horror kind of being like the original genre that grabbed you do you have a particular movie that sets you on the course now i know a lot of people skewed as the very first horror movie you watched but i don't always think it's like the necessarily the first horror movie someone saw but maybe in your case it is but do you have one that kind of like said okay 
I need to explore more of this genre and everything. Like what kind of planted that seed in the, in the ground. Yeah. I, and I, this is a story I've told before. So apologies if, if you're listening to this and you've heard me tell this, but it, it's, I think kind of fundamental to my makeup as a person. Um, there was a point where uh, I saw the movie alien in the theater. You know, I'm, I was of an age where that can be a true thing. And when I saw it, I was five, something like that, five or six years old, too young to be seeing Alien. I remember t- asking uh, my stepmom at one point, why did you guys take me to see that? Because I was clearly too young to to be seeing Alien in the theater. And she said, oh, that wasn't our idea. We took you because you wouldn't shut up about it. Which was a thing I didn't remember, but apparently I saw the, you know, the the TV preview for Alien, the TV trailer for it, and would not leave them alone about going to see the movie. That it, something about it just captured my imagination, and so when I saw it, uh, she said that I stood on the seat. And lean forward so that my, you know, my arms were folded on the headrest of the seat in front of me. And she said, I don't think you blinked the entire movie. That it was just, you know, a six-year-old kid, wide-eyed, taking in every bit of the movie Alien at a very young age. And, you know, I there are parts of that experience I don't remember. I remember going to see the movie, and I remember it scaring me pretty good. Uh, as you would imagine, in the weeks that followed. But also, for Christmas, I asked for this alien, you know, like action figure that stood about a foot tall and had a little button on the back of its head that if you pulled on it, it would extend the, the jaws, the second set of jaws of the alien. And yeah, so I just loved it. I mean, right out of the gate, um alien was was the movie that set me on the path but i was pretty quick to devour anything i could and you know again just being the age that i am i also had the good fortune to be alive when you know saturday afternoons would be old monster movies and godzilla movies and stuff like that and mm-hmm. so I just like I had a, a steady diet of horror movies and creature features from the time I was, you know, five, six, seven years old. So, yeah, I, you know, I've seen way more horror movies than anyone should. Um, and but it's also kind of nice. I, again, you know, uh, I keep saying being the age I am. But uh, one of the benefits to that is you get to really appreciate, you know, how the genre has changed. And like I kind of cut my teeth on movies that were made in the 50s and 60s, got to grow up in the 80s and the VHS boom and, and to see all of that and to see, you know, the international scope in the in the 90s start to broaden. And yeah, it's been you know, a kind of a tremendous journey through the genre over the years. But I, I started young. I started, I started real young. I was, 
I was a junkie from early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I kind of have a similar experience. Just like my my parents always had. Well, I would say more. My dad had them on the TV, but my mom was pretty. You know, I she was pretty indifferent to what I watched, and my dad would always have Godzilla movies on. And back then, you know, as a kid, a lot of times you had a choice: either sit down and watch what your parents happened to be watching, or go do something else. Like it wasn't like the choice of like, okay, well, I'll just go to my room and throw on um, this uh, Netflix or HBO Max or something with a thousand other choices. It was like, there's only one choice for the TV, and uh, it's it's a matter of uh, whether I'm willing to watch what my dad is watching. And while my dad did like horror, I think my bigger overall credit is the fact that he just liked all sorts of different movies and it kind of shaped me early on just to like, Hey, go out and check out different things. So when we would go to the VHS store, you know, I would find the specific sections that would be familiar with what he was watching. And it kind of got me to just check out different things at a young age, which, which helps because then once, you know, the world started changing and you get the access to much more of those types of movies then it's really on right then you can really start doing your research yeah yeah i i think it was you know what early 2000s i guess when uh the j-horror stuff hit and it was like oh there's this too oh wow Mm -hmm. you know and it was sort of like the you know pole on the road to damascus where all of a sudden it was like, oh, I don't have to just watch American horror movies, which uh, this will, I'm sure, alienate some people. But like 90s horror was kind of a bummer for me because it wasn't it was very, very scream influenced. And I've never been um, a, a big slasher guy. You know, like I, there are some slashers I really like, but it's not my preferred subgenre of horror in the 90s were just slasher heavy um and especially that kind of self-aware meta sort of slasher film um that just didn't hold a whole lot of interest for me especially after you'd seen you know scream and the good ones and then everything else felt mm-hmm. uh, a sort of a pale imitation of those and then you know all of a sudden international movies really started to become a a big part of my cinematic diet and, you know, just re reignited my love of the genre and, and made me feel like, Oh, okay, well maybe I'm not that interested in what American horror cinema is doing, but what's going on in Korea and Japan is incredible. And so I'm on board with that for a while now. And yeah, but you know, you see all that stuff go, go in waves because now American horror cinema is, uh, you know, really groundbreaking in a lot of ways. So it's, it's fun to see all that stuff, uh, you know, kind of the, the wheel on that turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think as you put it like the, yeah, the early two thousands when we kind of, cause that's probably when we were transitioning from like internet 1.0 to like 2.0 where mm. it, it got that, that many steps bigger. Um, be, you know, for, for film enthusiasts, Suddenly, like your average Joe Schmo had access to stuff that like only 
you know, professional critics at film festivals would see, and then the rest of us would be lucky if two years from now it got like a one night showing at a random theater. But now we were getting access, and not always to everything, but just a lot more uh, international movies. It it was pushing the boundaries of probably what a lot of us were used to seeing. It was expanding our knowledge and interests and, you know, kind of blowing our minds in a certain way. And in turn, I mean, that always has the effect of then um, modifying like American films to like, okay, we need to introduce and put some of those elements in ours. And to me, anytime you open up access to more stuff, it's, it's always going to have a positive uh, net effect because it's just going to constantly push the boundaries of what everybody's doing. So um, I thought it was like a very exciting time to, you know, to discover the J-Horde and the French movies. Um, there was even like um, Australian movie Renaissance, New Zealand, like all sorts of regions just popping up on everyone's radar that previously maybe there'd be like one VHS copy of a random movie in a store. But yeah, definitely those early 2000s was a great time period for this. Yeah, yeah, uh, the the French extreme stuff in particular was one of those things of like what what's going on in France? Why? Mm-hmm. What is wrong with these people? Um yeah, that that stuff was great. But the, you know, that's always exciting. And in like you said the internet I think really opened the door to a broader discussion where not only did you have communities of people that were you know coming together around being horror fans, but there was that exchange of movies where you would say, oh, I really like this movie and get a recommendation based on that. Like, oh, I really liked, you know, uh, the Blair Witch Project. Oh, have you seen Wreck? Or have you seen, you know, these other foreign films that are like, well, if you like found footage, then here are some incredible found footage movies that, you know, weren't you weren't getting a lot of press here in the States, but were you know, fantastic movies and yeah. 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 So that, that stuff is really fun. It's, it's always exciting when somebody, when you fall in love with a movie and then you tell somebody and they're like, Oh, well, if you like that, have, you know, let me tell you about this other movie um, that you may never have heard of because it's somewhat obscure, but because we live in a world now where, you know, there is a big community for these kinds of, of films um, that yeah, you get some and great recommendations. I, I, you know, every now and again, I'll, I'll, I'll feel a little despondent because I feel like, oh, I, I've not that I've seen everything, but I've seen most of the things that need to be seen. Um, mm-hmm. but then I also will look through a list and be like, oh, you know what I've never seen? Whatever happened to baby Jane? Never watched it, but, um, I I use that as an example because that is a thing on my list for this year uh so that I can you know fill in those gaps but um yeah it's it, it it's fun to find those new favorites you know and also this is somewhat unrelated to the question you were asking but I also really love it uh when a new movie will come out and immediately become one of the your favorite movies you've ever seen that is mm-hmm. that that makes me happier than anything. Like the first time I saw Robert Eggers, The Witch, and I realized like, oh, this movie is absolutely my jam. 
and one of my favorite horror movies and the the idea that one of my favorite movies of all time I've seen within the past decade is incredibly exciting to me. Yeah, and when when that situation happens for me, it always becomes sort of an instant internal struggle because my general way of thinking when it comes to movies and how I view them in like an all-time ranking or enjoyment is I try to never give an ultimate judgment after seeing a movie one time because I'm like, how can one viewing of a movie compare to like, you know, movies I've seen over the course of like the last 30 plus years of my life that the love has either grown or fallen off. It's, it's hard to do or it's hard to compare with like a movie that I just saw once and I loved it. But I'm like, is that just because it's fresh and new to me? And sometimes it's like, no, you just got to like go with it and say, no, I actually do enjoy this movie as much as like these movies that I've said I've loved for my whole life. And sometimes mm-hmm. you run into movies that are just that good that you just have to let it <laughs> let it be. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they, you, you try not to be sacred. <laughs> uh, there are some movies I love just because I love them, you know, like the the movie Fright Night. Uh, the original Fright Night I, is a movie that I dearly love because at the time I first saw it, it was a combination of everything I wanted from a horror movie. And mm-hmm. I understand people watching it today for the first time and not responding to it in that way, but it will always be that hometown favorite for me. But I, I try not to be too colored by nostalgia uh, and I, I think nostalgia, you know, is a little dangerous uh, in that it if if you lean too hard in, into the idea that everything was better when you were a kid, it's just like eh, everything was was new when you were a kid. And, you know, you, you like the things that you like because you grew up with them, you know, um, and and there was there's a, a fondness to that. And, you know, nostalgic gives everything that sort of sepia glow, but you can't allow yourself to be so trapped by nostalgia that you don't allow for things to also be good now, you know, like whether it's the witch or hereditary or, you know, any of the other handful of new movies that these really talented new directors have come out with. And, you know, just done such tremendous work that not only like, that's the thing that really kind of charges the battery. It makes, it makes you excited to see what's next. And, you know, like Mm -hmm. there will never be a time uh, after Robert Eggers did the witch and the lighthouse that I won't be excited to see what Robert Eggers is doing next. And, you know, so it, it, that to me is really fun. Like the Coen brothers aren't really making movies anymore. And as much as I love the Coen brothers, they're not really what they were when I was a kid. And so now, you know, my attention shifts to other directors that are, you know, uh, doing really exciting and interesting things with film. And yeah, that stuff is great. I I love that. There is nothing better to me than, that sense of discovery of finding a movie or a director or even a subgenre of a film that you've never seen before. Like when, uh, what was it? What was the Romero film that shutter re-released the, not the fun house. Um, the but amusement the, park. The, the amusement park. 
Yeah, when that hit, and I, it was like, oh, I get to watch a George Romero movie I've never seen. That's how incredible a time is it uh, that we live in. Yeah. And and re- regardless of how you responded to it, I really liked it. I thought it was great. But, you know, even if you don't, like, oh, you get to see a movie by one of the most important horror directors that you've never seen before. And, you know, somebody who, uh, like Romero, who trafficked in, you know, sociopolitical, uh, uh, not just horror films, but just movies in general, like his, his movies really were always intended to say something. And, you know, even when they were commissioned by Mormons who paid George Romero, the guy who did Night of the Living Dead, to do a somewhat, you know, PSA-oriented movie, and when they got it, they were like, what is this? And it's like, yeah, you hired George Romero to do a PSA film. So you, you ought to have known what you were getting into there. Um, but that stuff's super fun. I, 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 there is nothing I like more uh, than seeing something exciting from a new director or getting like those new discoveries from old directors that I love. So um, I don't even remember what question he asked. I was just excited about movies. <laughs> yeah i was just like i i'm just appreciating talking about movies but yeah that's one of my other fun things to do if it's not you know seeking out new releases that you know didn't jump out right when they released them you know randomly showed up somewhere where i could watch them my other favorite thing to do is kind of go back and look over directors or even sometimes actors that i'm fond of and just try to fill in gaps of their stuff that I haven't seen because there's there's always tends to be like missing pieces like I, I recently kind of went on like a De Palma kick and it was just I just looked up his filmography and was like okay haven't seen these ones and I'm just gonna watch them and it brings like even a bigger appreciation or you know you I think in the past I've done like a you know where I, I love Rosemary's Baby and I was just like googled movies like rosemary's baby and tried to see like what some of the better ranked ones or reviewed ones were and just check those out and had a blast doing that so um i don't even know what question i'm answering now either yeah. on my own but uh <laughs> well, you, just uh the enjoyment of exploring cinema basically yeah recently i you know i like duncan is really into giallo films richard's really a, a big giallo fan it's not a thing that I know a ton about and, and I don't always like Giallo, but I, I've seen some that really blew me away. And um, recently I watched the strange vice of Mrs. Ward, which is a Sergio Martino joint. And I realized that I have now seen most of the Giallo films that Sergio Martino has done. And that's always fun too. Cause it's like, Oh, I, if I watch a couple of more movies, I will have, you know, not necessarily an encyclopedic knowledge, but a working knowledge of all of the Giallo films of this very prolific Italian director. And that's, you know, that's the kind of nerdy fun I like where it's like, oh, I can actually talk with some degree of intelligence with Richard now about the the films of Sergio Martino. And I keep name checking Richard just because he is maybe the smartest guy I know when it comes to giallo films, or at least has the most the, like the widest breadth of knowledge about those kinds of movies and the, the filmmakers involved. So 
Um, yeah, that, that kind of stuff is really fun when, like you say, you just pick a director or an actor or someone you're like, I'm just going to learn everything I can about this actor or director and it. And it, you know, it helps put all the other movies in, into kind of a context and you can start to see some of the through lines, especially if it's a director where you start to see some recurring themes and shot selections and that kind of thing where it's like, oh, OK, well, this is you know, sort of a, a trademark of this director is to, you know, shoot these weird gauzy looking flashback scenes or, um, you know, all of his movies feature a character that is, you know, suffering from some kind of addiction or something like that. That's just a, a thing that this director likes to explore. And that stuff is, is really fascinating to me, but uh, as I said, I'm, you know, I, I come from kind of an, a, a literary analysis kind of background. And and so finding that stuff from from directors is uh, a lot of fun for me because I like trying to understand what the filmmaker is, is trying to say with the movies as well as just enjoy. Like, look, I enjoy Japanese splatter movies and those movies are almost completely devoid of theme and story. I just like them. Uh, because they're really silly and gory and, and dumb uh, in a way that I really respond to. So, you know, I, I think being able to sort of have a very cinematic diet is important, too, that there are some things I take very seriously, and there are some movies that are just meant for, you know, my own personal entertainment or enjoyment, and that's cool, too. Um, I tell people all the time, I don't care what gets you into the horror genre, and I'll tell you if I don't like a movie that you like, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to give you a hard time for liking it because uh, who you know, whatever movie get, gets you into horror movies is the right movie for you. And, um, you know, uh, e- even if my opinion differs, I don't, with the exception of Jamie Salmon's love of the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, I try not to give <laughs> anyone a hard time about something that they like just because I don't like it, you know? Well, I'm definitely team Bo on that one. Um. Oh, <laughs> so bad. It's such a, it's such a woefully misbegotten movie and, and filled with such terrible ideas. And I don't get it. We've had, I've talked to her so many times about it. And I just don't understand how she can look at the, And I think at this point, she's just being obstinate. I think she, I think she, even she at this point recognizes that it's not a very good movie. But she's been on that hill for so long that she's just decided to plant her flag there. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Like I, I've heard some of the argument, and not just from her. Right? Like I don't want to make it like she's the only one. There's, I've heard similar things said from other people, and I, I just think there's too much uh, ammo to fight back on those points. And I'm like, no, like. N- I, I I respect uh, the ability to, you know, attempt to make the arguments and the points. But for me, I just I can't go with it. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. No. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it's just not very good. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I, I I was going to bring up a specific because um, you said like the entry point in, in a horror different for everyone. And I think that I, I tend to find that. Scream is kind of one of those pivotal movies, you know, regardless of what everyone personally thinks of it, because I noticed that there's a big generational. And I think I was talking to somebody off, like not on a podcast. We were just having a conversation about it. And I've noticed that 
there's set it, it tends to be a very big generational thing where when Scream came out, you were either someone that was like old enough to have you know lived through the initial slasher uh genre scene and so scream was like the beginning of the next archetype or you were young enough to where scream was your entry point into the slasher genre and to you that was the archetype and then anything that came before it that you subsequently saw after the fact um was like the weird kind of model to you and that's not to say because I'm not even here to like bash either type, but just, you know, what what the individual kind of saw as this is this is it and this is the other version of it. Mm-hmm. I think it it still seems to this day Scream is the biggest like kind of like fork in the road or like the nope, you must turn right or left here because this is where the genre is changing. And I, and I think, you know, when it comes to nostalgia and all kind of like the questions surrounding it, I, I always think that like Scream's like a great example of it because the way some people talk about it, where it's like that, that was a pivotal moment in the slasher versus everyone's like, no, it was actually just another slasher after 15 years of seeing slashers, right? Like, it, it, I've always kind of, like, thought it had an interesting dynamic. And I'm always waiting to see, like, is there going to be, like, the next big slasher that kind of does what Scream did in 96? And I, I'm not sure if we've, we've got it yet. Yeah, it, and it's tough to imagine. Like, when, when it happens, it'll be brilliant because it's so difficult to imagine what it would be. Because Scream is such a deconstruction of slasher movies that I always felt like the response to Scream would be to play a slasher movie straight, you know, to, to, uh, you know, like that, that is the, the, the thing that is both beautiful about Scream and it's frustrating about Scream is that no slasher in its wake could get away with just being the slasher movies in, in the vein of, you know, Friday the 13th or Halloween or the Prowler or, you know, any number of the burning, you know, wh- whatever 80 slasher you want to pick because scream essentially said, okay, well this is the trope and laid it out for you. Like there is a character literally saying, here are the rules of the slasher movie and here's how we're going to sort of up in them. And so you can't do that again. You know, you can't have another movie that just regurgitates the the tropes of a slasher movie. And I haven't seen all of the Scream sequels because at a certain point, I just it, it felt like it was the snake eating its own tail. And you can only deconstruct the deconstruction so many times. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know how you. I don't know how you make a slasher in in a modern context that is both aware of scream being a thing but also beholden to uh the earlier slasher movies and you know the the one that i wrote is very much in the scream vein in the sense that it understands the tropes and tries to subvert them to some degree but 
you know, it, it also is a throwback movie so that you don't have to deal with uh, sort of a modern, a, a, a modern context for the film. It's tough. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I, and maybe, the, maybe the answer is that you just wait for everyone who ever saw a slasher to die and then make another slasher. That's like, Oh, well, we, we've never seen anything quite like this. Um, so I don't know. It's tough. It, it's like, I, I, I think if you were going to do another movie in the vein of scream, I think you would almost have to do it as a creature feature or something where you deconstruct that in the same way that scream deconstructed the slasher. I, I think maybe the slasher is, is, has been so well mined at this point that you can do movies in that subgenre, but I don't know that you're going to radically reinvent them the way that scream did. Um, I think you just have to take a different subgenre and maybe the closest is like behind the mask, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, does some of the, some, some of the th- same things that scream did of understanding what the tropes are and having a character sort of embody that and lay it out for the audience in a very, uh, plain way of like, this is the way it has to be, but also had this kind of clever bent on the material of, you know, presuming that these, uh, these serial killers that were, you know, almost superhuman lived in the real, the real world alongside us and all of that. So I don't know. It's tough. It, it that's, yeah, it, it's a great I, question. I think about it a lot. I just don't know how you do it. I, I always looked at it follows as kind of following somewhat of a slasher uh, prototype. Mm-hmm. The, the main thing missing was because it's, it's uh, like, I guess form shifting or it can be viewed as different things that it, it's not going to have this, you know, the singular icon for people to nail down and say, okay, this is where I can go get my It Follows uh, mask at, at Spirit Halloween store, right? There, You can't, one, you can't really merchandise something that can be multiple faces. But uh, also, you know, it, it looks like it's probably going to be a standalone movie. And uh, I don't know, I just thought they took a lot of elements. You know, it's kind of like the unstoppable force uh, coming after you. No matter where you are, you're never truly safe. So I felt like... a they were maybe dabbling in it, but, you know, not full force slasher movie. But I did kind of appreciate uh, some of the the elements of a slasher there. But, yeah, it, it's kind of tough. Like, I, I almost say, like, yeah, well, for me, like, the only way to go to, to, like, do it is to go back to, like, what made them originally good. It was just a straightforward, you know, masked killer but then it's like it has to be done well because there's already rumors if I get new Friday the 13th and I'm like, well, okay. I, I mean, that's not exactly how I would picture doing it. it would be literally resurrecting an eighties franchise again, but looks like that's what they're going to attempt to do instead of <laughs> it's just giving us something new. But I, I mean, that's how it goes really. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're right about it follows. I think that it thematically, it's certainly doing the same thing of here is here is death come for us all. And it, it does not, it doesn't stop and it can't be reasoned with um, that. It, it, you know, is very similar to Friday the 13th and Halloween and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, 
it, it's tough. Uh, but I, you know, I, I think when you see horror movies that are being successful in theaters these days, it's just all stripes. You know, um, I, I was one of my favorite movies I've seen this year is uh, Orphan First Kill because of it subverting the original Orphan uh, of, of saying, well, this is what you expect from this movie. And we're going to give that to you kind of, but then we're going to make this left turn. That's going to make the movie sort of its own thing. And, uh, and I really adore that. And maybe that's the, the ultimate rule of scream is you can make any horror movie you want. You've just got to be creative enough to give it its own spin. And also I think Lovecraftian horror is something that was a mild thing in the eighties and nineties, but is certainly rampant these days there, you know, that, that seems to be the, the flavor of the month, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, we've been talking movies for quite a while now. This is this has been fun. Um, I just have a few more questions. I'm actually going to combine one mm-hmm. or two. <laughs> so you, uh, I, I want to know where you kind of got the the craving or the urge to create a network because you created Legion Network. Um, and you were running the network for a while. So maybe touch on what made you go from, you know, a podcast to uh, creating network. And then I'll combine that with the question that you can finish off with on that one is uh, what uh, what would you tell uh, with all your knowledge of running a podcast network now? What would today's Bo uh, let the Bo that wanted to create a network know to uh, it? you know, in case you would do anything different uh, regarding the network in retrospect. So uh, Legion Network, everything Legion Network, Bo. Yeah, so uh, I didn't actually create it. That was David. David Anders was the one who originally started. It had a different name when he started. It was a League of Extraordinary Podcasts, something like that, and which was a little unwieldy. I always thought that was a little bit too long a name. But uh, he's he kind of put it together, and so the original shows that were on Legion came from him and and organizing around his idea, and so David started it, and then pretty somewhere along the line decided, hey, I, I this is a lot of work, and I want to do this, and I felt like, well, it is a lot of work, but also it was kind of interesting to see all of these different podcasts sort of assemble and do some cross pollination and helping each other out and so forth. And so I said, Hey, before you just completely shutter this, let me take a swing at it and let me see if I can, if I can help with it. And, um, so that's when I took over and I ran it for years, you know, like four or five years. And, um, so yeah. And it was, you know, like, during part of that, I was just kind of caretaker of making sure that, you know, all of the shows got out to the right feeds and, and did a lot of the technical stuff because I have a bit of a technical background. So that part of it was really um, some of the heavy lifting. And um, and as far as what I would tell myself, if I could go back and 
give myself some good advice, it would be to either outsource early or, or to spend a lot more time understanding the role of social media in that, uh, in that process, because I don't care for social media. It's not that I dislike people or, or dislike interacting with people. Um, I just don't like the social media platforms because most of the time they are sort of fronting, you know, because of the algorithms working underneath it all, they're kind of showing you stuff that they think you're going to like. And I'm one of those people that doesn't like to be told what I like. Like, let me just find the thing that I like, uh, which, eh, you know, it's a personality flaw, I suppose. Um, but so I don't use Facebook a lot anymore. I, Twitter is something that I've flirted with and never understood because I, I believe in having discussions like this, but Twitter is just not set up to have a discussion. It is, you know, I'm going to post my feelings and everybody else can go suck it kind of stuff. And that's just not what I enjoy. Um, so I would, I would try to find somebody early that understood that and could establish a much better social media presence and who enjoyed doing that stuff because I really, I really hate it. Um, these days I spend most of my time on, uh, discord because it is not really social media. It's just a community. And so, yeah, that's, that, that's, that, that would be the advice. And that is something I would tell anyone who is looking into setting up a podcast network. One is just, you know, be sure that you want to do it because it does take a lot of work and a lot of time. Um, and, and also understand the critical role that social media is going to play in the kind of advertising that you need to do, uh, to, to grow a social or to grow a a podcast network. Um, and that was one of the reasons I stepped away and, and handed the reins over, uh, to Kevin, um, was that I, you know, just couldn't do it. You know, I was like, this is not what I'm in. I I don't enjoy this anymore. Um, I spend a lot of time and, and I just didn't have, not that I didn't enjoy it. That that's, that's not the right way to put it. It's that I was, I was spending so much time doing the day-to-day maintenance stuff. And what I really wanted to do was just create podcasts, which is what I started doing. And so the more work I was doing with the network as a whole, the less time I had to spend doing the thing that really got me excited about doing podcast work in the first place. And so that's, that's why I kind of, you know, found somebody to take it over um, because I understood my limitations that I, you know, I didn't have the fire to do it the way that I did when I first started. And I just wanted to make podcasts and also that I didn't have a real vision for how do you take this? You know, I've been running it for five years. So how I need to give it to somebody that has an idea of what five years from now could look like. And, you know, could there be different shows and different ways to advertise and different ways to engage the community that I'm not thinking of? And, um, and so, yeah. And so that's what 
and I was so happy when somebody took it over because otherwise it was just going to stop. And I'd, I'd done enough work <laughs> with, with the network that it was going to bum me out if it just stopped being a thing. Um, although I was prepared for that, you know, I was kind of making moves behind the scenes a little bit to say, okay, well, if this were to completely break apart, here's what I would do, uh, to just keep my own stuff going. So, um, I was very pleased when, when, you know, somebody stepped up and took it over and, um, and he's been doing really good stuff with the Patreon and, giving out free video games and doing some community stuff and all of that. So that's that it's been really uh, kind of heartwarming to see all of that happen. Um, but it's tough. It's a lot of work because you're also dealing with a lot of different personalities and um, there's an, you know, it, it requires a lot. It, it, there's a, a degree of technical know-how for keeping a website going and trying to keep everything uh, working on that end and you're kind of hurting cats because you're trying to get the host to all pull in the same direction. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's no easy feat and anyone who does it is, uh, my, my hat is off to them, but it's a lot of fun too, for all my complaining about it. Like, you know, there is, uh, a, it, it's always nice when you're making moves and, adding new shows and get rid getting rid of some other shows that maybe don't quite fit the ethos that you're trying to achieve. And you start seeing like people respond to that, whether it's people contacting you directly or, you know, the download numbers going up or whatever it is. Uh, all of that stuff is, is rewarding, but it's also maddening too, when just like one month downloads are, lower for no good reason that you can think of and like what did i do wrong <laughs> you know did it did mm -hmm. i not advertise in the right way did i not advertise in the right place blah 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 it's you know but 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 that's the kind of thing that i was glad to ultimately give up just so that i could uh concentrate on making the shows and i'm i'm in a place now where i, I don't necessarily like obviously i i want people to listen and I enjoy it when they do. And I enjoy the feedback. And, um, you know, we just dropped an episode on pick six movies on the movie runaway with Gene Simmons and Tom Selleck. And there were a number of people that were, you know, responding to that movie and, and some of the jokes we made about it and so forth. And that kind of thing is a lot of fun, but, uh, I do it at this point, the, the, the work that I do with podcasting, I do it just because I enjoy doing it. And I, even if I had like five listeners, I would probably still do it the same way that I'm doing it now, which, uh, again, is kind of fun. I like, I like feeling like I'm doing this for the love of the game and not, <laughs> yeah, you know, not because I'm trying to achieve anything. I'm not goal oriented. The, the goal is the show. Uh, and that's, that's a nice place to be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the goal is having fun doing the show. And as long as that's happening, then the rest you know, can come and go, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, for the last question, uh, before we get into the movie, I, I, I'm going to, you're the first that, uh, I've, uh, kind of decided to start doing this is to wrap up the, I guess the interview portion with just a random 
movie question, and hmm. this can be any genre of your answer. It's just the first movie that comes to mind when I ask for a sequel surpassing the original. Oh, I mean, the obvious is Godfather 2, right? Um, that, That's the obvious, or one yeah. of the obvious choices, I would right. say. Right, it's, sure. it's Godfather 2 or Empire, the, the first two that pop into my head, or Empire 2, Empire uh, Strikes Back being the superior film to Star Wars. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a, a better, more obscure example, but... I, you know, I keep going back to Godfather too. Like that, that expands on the Godfather in every way and is an incredible, incredible movie. Um, I, I, I'll say if, if anything, I'm just glad you didn't do something that would disappoint me and say Terminator two. Cause a lot of oh, people would no, no. like, no, don't do it, please. No, I mean, I, there is an argument to be made for aliens. I don't think that it's better than alien, but it is just so different and so much its own thing that I think yeah. you can argue, hey, Aliens is as good, but I don't think it surpasses. I, um, I think I think what makes the Alien-Aliens uh, argument so tough is each movie is trying to do a different thing. And each movie does what it's trying to do so well that it almost comes down to, well, what do you personally like better a straight horror movie or like an action movie with elements of the horror in it? Because I'm also like an alien over aliens guy, Mm -hmm. but I mean, all considerations aside, I still love aliens as well. It's just a very different movie in tone. And it's, it's like, I, even though I, oh, yeah, I personally always argue Alien is better. It's like, I totally understand why the people in the Aliens camp are in the Aliens camp, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'll tell you one. Uh, here, Here's a, a sequel better than the original. Uh, Friday the 13th 4, the final chapter. Better than the original Friday the 13th. Yeah, and it's funny because that's one of the, iconic slasher franchises i guess with that i would say multiple entries surpass the original for me i mean just me personally but um definitely i mean for i we i just had brian brian salmon's on the previous episode and we did friday four and that's his uh number one of the franchise and i've always said it's probably definitely the number one depiction of Jason Voorhees himself. I tend to be like a Friday three as my favorite, Mm -hmm. but it's all very close when it, when it comes to the the first five Friday 13th, I would say they definitely have that, that feel to them that starts to change drastically. uh, Once we get to Jason lives, but um, for the most part, yeah, those first five, I, I enjoy, um, for different reasons for each one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Four for me is the one that I can watch just any time. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the fact that Crispin Glover brings this kind of manic energy to it. And <laughs> you, there's a strange sort of family story happening in that one. And uh, it's got a great, uh, Jason Voorhees performance. It's really vicious. And yeah, that, uh, the, the absolute best. Uh, part four, 
way better than part one in uh in my mind for sure definitely um okay well good good uh stuff there i figured you know if if with this question it's like if you had to fall back on like the bigger choices that's fine too yeah, just because i i kind of like just randomly came up with it at the last minute and i'm like ah oh, but i know he'll have answers for this one <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, yeah the there there are a number of examples of it but it's you know you don't want to go with the most obvious of hey empire strikes back is better than star wars it's like yeah no kidding you know it's a, that's a yeah. weird interesting movie yeah Mm-hmm. for sure for sure all right well here comes the the portion where uh Bo sort of takes over so uh for those listening to this for the first time maybe i ask uh the guest to pick a movie for us to discuss and it can be across any genre and the only real ask is hopefully the movie has some type of significance to them it doesn't have to be their favorite movie of all time and Nothing like that. It can it can be as simple as, hey, this is uh, a movie I saw at a significant point in my life. Or, hey, I love this director and this is their first movie. But uh, we're going to find out now what movie Bo picked and why he picked it. So, Bo, take it away with uh, your movie selection. Yeah, I wanted to stay in the horror genre. So I went with <laughs> a movie about a man haunted by an invisible seven-foot rabbit. Um, no, it's 1950s Harvey starring uh, Jimmy Stewart. Uh, yeah, other actors for sure, but this is really Jimmy Stewart's film. We predict you'll greet Harvey with laughter and rousing applause. How do we know? Because for five long years, audiences did just that on Broadway for the most talked about Pulitzer Prize winning comedy of our time. And now at last, Harvey comes to the screen, better, richer, funnier than it ever was on the stage. Starring James Stewart as Elwood P. Dowd, America's most amiable citizen. With hilarious Josephine Hull and a grand cast. And once again, the critics are raving. Says Luella Parsons. And Walter Winchell. Hedda Hopper. It's based on a Pulitzer Prize winning play uh, and definitely has that feel like you can see how this would be a play because there are a couple of major settings. You know, it's basically their house, the the house of Jimmy Stewart and his uh, sister and niece, uh, the mental institution, which let me just say up front, not the most progressive and modern look at mental illness for sure. Uh, but, uh, that, and then there's, uh, a bar that, uh, features fairly heavily into the film and, <laughs> yeah. um, which has my favorite stuff in it. Had you seen this before though? Just out of curiosity. 
I had not. This is actually a first time watch for me. And when I was looking it up, I've seen that not only was it a play, but they've actually made this story into a movie a few times. Yeah, yeah. And and so I will I will say why I picked this movie, because when you, you approach me about this and first of all, again, I appreciate uh, you doing so because this stuff is a lot of fun. But also when you said, like, pick a movie that's significant to you and, you know, there are plenty of horror movies that I talk about all the time, but I don't get an opportunity to talk about this movie very much. And this, along with It's a Wonderful Life, are very significant films for me uh, because I was a big Jimmy Stewart fan from the time I was a kid. And I am not so old that Jimmy Stewart movies were like contemporary to my experience. He was an old actor and his movies were very old before I was ever born. But I had uh, famously shitty parents and not just because they took me to see alien. They were just bad parents. Like a lot of, a lot of childhood trauma and all that kind of shit. But the one thing that I had was, was Jimmy Stewart and this movie and it's a wonderful life. Both figured very prominently in my idea of what normal human behavior was. And especially this film um, that the character of Elwood P. Dowd was the kind of person that you should strive to be. And so the first time I saw this movie, I recognized uh, there's almost a, like a Forrest Gump quality except that he's not mentally handicapped. It's just that person that's so extraordinarily nice that it forces the world around him to change. Um, that he is, he is such a kind and such a genuine person that, that no matter what happens to him, he's going to be fine. And I think when I was a kid, I needed that kind of role model because I didn't have it in my own life at the time. And it's one of the reasons I love movies as much as I do now, because movies and especially a movie like Harvey that I saw pretty early, that they were movies that taught me that cinema can be more than just entertainment, that it can kind of display an ethos, a way to live your life in a way and especially a character like like Elwood Dowd, who was even no matter how terrible the world around him was, he was always going to maintain optimism and kindness. And that really like I, I responded to that in a really fundamental way. And to this day, there are lines in Harvey that will almost bring me to tears because it, it means so much to me as a person. Um, one of them being, you know, later in the, in the movie when he's talking to uh, Mr. Chumley, the head of the, the uh, institution. And he says in life, you may be oh so smart or oh so pleasant for many years. I was smart. I recommend pleasant. And it, it's uh, like when, as soon as I heard that line, I was probably in middle school the first time I saw this. As soon as I heard that line, I was like, that feels right. That feels like a true thing to me. And I haven't always embodied it. You know, it, it is a difficult path to walk. <laughs> but 
Um, it is something that the older I get, the more true it feels. And the more I try to be that person, I try to be my inner Elwood P Dowd, uh, because I've always admired it. And I, I've tried to do that, but I, I think it's only now that I really feel like I've captured some of that and, and try to treat everybody that I meet with a degree of kindness, like not as Pollyanna-ish as, as maybe Elwood would be Dowd. Um, cause I'm not that good, but yeah, it, it, it was a movie that just, uh, uh, embodied for me what I thought people ought to be like. And because, because he's different, like he's it, like the, the world around him understands that he is not a normal person, but, but his his kindness and his humanity are such that it's not it's not Elwood Dowd that changes. It's the world that bends to his kindness. And and that was something I thought was really beautiful about the film. Yeah, I I was uh, reading some reviews after watching the movie because it's it's pretty common for me if it's if it's a movie I'm seeing for the first time just to kind of get an idea of like what others think of it maybe you know that do a deep dive into it and I think you know in one of the reviews it was it was one sentence that really struck me it was like the this movie will tell you about the importance of being nice and I was like well that that kind of sums it up uh I thought uh the the character that James Stewart played, man, just it seems like that's the kind of guy you want in your life. You know, yeah. like you, you, you put the, uh, the imaginary rabbit or uh, what is it? They refer to it. A puka. I a puka. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 Puka, you know, put that aside. And it's just every interaction this guy has, it's like always the brightest outlook, always trying to see the positive, you know, very warm to pretty much everyone he comes across, regardless of the way they're reacting to him. And yeah, the importance of being nice. One of the the first scenes that really jumped out to me and just cracked me up was uh, the party scene. I think you know, I think it's his family. They're having some type of like cocktail party or something. And yeah, it's a coming he, out party for his niece. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and. So he he shows up to the party and I you know you have the couple members of his family that obviously know what's going on with him, but they're trying to like not very successfully like hide it contain it, and eventually they can't and he he's there in the main room of the party introducing Harvey to everybody and just the looks on their faces, it's it's all over we we tried but no but James Stewart you know his charm. And what a pro, because I, I got to think back, you know, you see now this type of stuff, you know, green screened or they'd have someone probably there with them that they can digitally alter out after the fact to make it more realistic. But what a job by James Stewart. Every interaction with Harvey, it just comes off as like as if Harvey's actually there. And that's a tribute to James Stewart himself. It's just it was like a masterful job. Yeah, the the only thing you see of Harvey is the portrait mm-hmm. that he has done of him and the big rabbit, and uh, the hat that's got the ear holes cut in it. 
And that's the only evidence other than, you know, seeing some stuff move around uh, at the end of the movie that Harvey is real. And there was some, you know, my understanding at least is that when they were making the movie, there was some uh, idea that they were, they were going to play it so that you never really knew if Harvey was real or not. And I think it was Jimmy Stewart who insisted, Hey, at the end of the movie, we should know that he's a real thing. And that's why you get this sort of the gate opening and closing uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. But uh, yeah, I love that scene where he goes to the party because of, of him, you know, like everybody in the family is trying to hide the fact that he, he seems to be a crazy person who sees this giant rabbit. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, the scene though, that I think, the first time I saw it, the scene where I knew that like, Oh, this movie is going to be one of my favorite movies forever and ever. And it's the scene where they track him down to the bar. Um, uh, and, and Jimmy Stewart convinces like the, the new, uh, or the younger psychiatrist and the nurse to dance and so forth. And when they start dancing, he just wanders outside to sit, you know, among the trash in the alley or whatever. Um, and that whole scene where they talk to him about why he, why uh, Harvey's name is Harvey. And uh, the the psychiatrist kind of implying, well, maybe you had a childhood friend named Harvey. And, you know, perhaps that's why that you're creating this, this fantasy figure of a long lost friend or something. And Jimmy Stewart, who I think I, I'm, I think he's a wonderful actor, you know, in the Hitchcock stuff, as well as movies like this. I think for the time in which he was acting, when things could be very theatrical and this movie has a lot of very theatrical arch performances in it, too, especially um, the, the woman who plays his sister is very stage acty in the movie. But Jimmy Stewart always strikes me as being very natural. You know, like in natural in a way that a lot of modern actors are. And um, when during the course of that scene in the alley, when they were talking to him about the first time he met Harvey, and it's a very funny story about like the, a buddy of his being real drunk and Harvey is, is saying like, oh, well, he, he was a little spiffed, wasn't he? Um, but when he goes on to talk about how... Uh, it, the, the line is something to the, the effect of, um, we, we sit at the bar, uh, Harvey and I, and people tell us all the, the big, terrible things that they've done and all the big, wonderful things that they're going to do because nobody ever brings anything small into a bar. And I introduced them to Harvey and he is bigger and grander than anything that they offer me. And he says, the the very same people seldom come back, but that's envy, my dear. And there's a little bit of that in the best of us. And it's just this wonderful monologue that he gives. And I, you know, I think it's kind of like wonderful and sweet and heartbreaking all at the same time. And I, again, I just love Jimmy Stewart's delivery of it all. Um, as you said, his kindness in the movie, like when he, uh, he picks the flower and, and gives it to the nurse. And there's a joke there where he says, uh, would you wear this flower? I seem to have misplaced my buttonhole. And when he 
you know, fixes the flower to her collar, he says, when you wear that, you make it beautiful. And it's those little moments where you're like, I wish I could be this guy, you know, uh, who is, who is constantly finding the best qualities in people. And even at the point, like the, the whole climax of the movie kind of rests on the idea that they're going to give him this formula that will shock him back into reality. And he doesn't want to take it obviously because they're, they're telling him like, Hey, you'll stop seeing Harvey once you take this. And uh, his sister is telling him to take it. And he says, you know, um, I like this because there's a, an element of conflict in this discussion and that keeps everyone interested and gives everybody a, a stake in, in the conversation. And so even in this moment where he is being forced to make this decision about giving up his one true friend or disappointing his sister, like that is not what first comes out of his mouth is a defense of, of Harvey or anything like that. It's just like, isn't this wonderful that we're all having this argument because that means we're all engaged and we're all talking to one another. And uh, it's that kind of stuff that I find really like charming and wonderful about this movie. But I'm excited that, uh, because you haven't seen it. Like I, I'm, I'm curious, did aside from, you know, him just being a super nice guy, did the movie land for you at all? Cause it's, it's hard for me to tell cause I've, I've seen it a million times, but like when you watched it, did you actually enjoy the watching of it? Yeah. I mean, I think it's heavily carried by James Stewart's performance, obviously, but I thought it was funny. I thought I love kind of the whimsical nature of comedies in this era. And I mean, it's not exclusive to this era, but I, I think we're still, you know, we're still in that age of cinema where whims being whimsical is a good thing. And in that whimsical nature shows up in a lot of, a lot of comedies, uh, a lot of musicals too, at the time. Um, and it's something you don't see a lot these days. Like once in a while you'll get movies like this, but man, it, it, it definitely transports, transports you to a different era um, or at least an era depicted on screen. I mean, no era is free of many problems, but obviously, but yeah, yeah. And I also could definitely tell that it was uh, based on a play. Um, it just felt like that, like some of the set pieces definitely lend credence to that. Um, but I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the movie a lot. Um, sometimes going back, you never know, um, especially as a first time watch, because it's, it's very hard not to view things through like the lens of, you know, modern times. But I also know like some of my favorite movies are what 50 years old now, at least. So, um, I, and, and the fact that like you picked it, I was like, okay, if anything, it is going to, it's going to be a good movie. <laughs> um, will it land for me? That was the question, but yes, uh, I, I had a fun time with it. I just, I love the tone of the movie. I thought it, for being like an hour and 44, I thought it moved pretty quickly. Like it, it, it just goes um, from scene to scene. And yeah, uh, I just thought it was a, it was a real feel, feel good movie. Now it's funny too. Cause I, I, I've, I've also heard like that. Some people thought the movie was like uh, a metaphor for alcoholism <laughs> too, because maybe he's a drunken, that's mm -hmm. why he's uh, imagining this puka. So 
I, I, I did uh, appreciate kind of like the wide ranging, you know, it's almost, it's almost like a, in modern times, like people breaking down like the themes of a Jordan Peele movie. Now I'm not saying this gets that deep, but um, I did like reading the different reviews and the different uh, breakdowns and depictions of what different people thought were going on in it. It also, one of my enjoyment about reading reviews on like older movies, even though some of the reviews are, are obviously modern, like written a lot um, in more in modern times is, you know, people think film criticism is like a new thing. It's like, no, like there's like critical breakdowns and Uber analysis going on on movies. Like even back then where people wanted to get at the root of like what's behind the writing and what's behind what's going on on screen. So yeah, I had a lot of fun with this movie. It, it definitely hit a hundred percent for me. Oh, that's great. I'm I'm so happy to hear that because when I was going back through it, I, you know, I was thinking how much I love it. There's a, a line that the, um, sort of the, the orderly that, uh, Mr. Cecil, I think is his name, the one who, uh, ends up falling in love with, uh, the, the niece, um, <laughs> but there's a line he has that is maybe one of the most like 1950s era bits of dialogue I've ever heard where he says uh, it's, it's when he tracks Elwood down to his house and he's not there, but he's talking to the sister and or the, the niece rather. And she makes him an egg salad sandwich. <laughs> and he says, listen, I got it. There are a couple of things I know for sure. And she's like, Oh, what's that? And he says, you can make a really great egg salad sandwich. And also your, your uncle is one of the biggest fruitcakes that ever stuck his puss into our nut house. And that combination of words delights me to no end. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I was just going to say when I was watching the movie, my wife was around, like she wasn't there for the whole movie, but she was in the room when that line hit and she kind of did a double take at the TV. (laughs) Like he said, what now? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was hilarious. Yeah. I like it. Anytime somebody refers to somebody's face as a puss. It just makes me laugh, but um, yeah, and uh, you know, it, it, like I said, there's almost this Forrest Gump quality of this very likable guy. Um, instead of going through like, you know, Zelig like going through these historical moments, it's just sort of a day in the life because the whole thing takes place in the course of a day. Uh, but seeing how, you know, he he just is unflappable. In the face of every, like, even when they tell him, like, hey, your sister was trying to have you committed. She got power of attorney over you. And he says, Vita did all that today. Boy, she is really something, isn't she? Like, being kind of (laughs) impressed by the fact that his sister was doing this, like, grand conspiracy against him. His response to it is like, she is just a spitfire. You got to hand it to her, you know? And and not not being upset about the fact that it's all working against him. Um, yeah, he he almost has that Ned Flanders like uh, demeanor without like the religious undertones, you know, yeah. like where it's like no ma- no matter what's propagated against him or said to him, he doesn't change his outlook or demeanor with anyone in any situation. Yeah. And there, there's a spirit of poetry to him as well. Like when 
uh, he's at the bar with the the doctor and the nurse, and he says, uh, when he's saying, here's what happened to Mr. Chumley, the head of the institution who tracked him down to this bar. And he said, you know, uh, I introduced him to Harvey and we had a few drinks and the evening wore on. You know, that's such a lovely expression. With your permission, I'll say it again. The evening wore on. And just, you know, like him just loving this turn of phrase uh, and and pausing in this story just to enjoy language for a second. You know, it's, it's that kind of stuff that really uh, makes me fall in love with this movie over and over again. And, you know, there are some jokes that are very corny because of the time that the movie was made but i do think that jimmy stewart's performance kind of there's a timeless quality to it um and also the the idea like you know when you get to the the end of the film there is this moment where mr chumbly asks like hey can harvey come with me and you know, Jimmy Stewart has to make this decision about like, well, do I give up my oldest and only friend, this invisible rabbit, so that this guy can go off to Akron, Ohio and have a woman, you know, pat his hand and say, poor, poor dear, um, which I love Jimmy Stewart saying, look, I, I think you're making a mistake by not having the woman say anything other than poor dear. Because if she's been around at all, she's probably picked up some interesting news items. And I know you're making a mistake about all that beer and no whiskey, but sure, I've never heard Harvey say an unkind word about Akron, so he might do it for you. Um, uh, well, oh, what is the when he's telling that the like Harvey can stop time? Now Harvey can uh, stop a clock, and <laughs> uh, not only has Harvey overcome space and time, but any objections is how he puts it. Oh, I love the language in this so much, but he, uh, but yeah, so Mr. Chumley theoretically is going to go off to Akron with Harvey. And there's this moment where the, the only time you ever see Jimmy Stewart, you know, even unhappy in the movie is him leaving and kind of understanding, well, maybe I don't have this friend of mine anymore. Uh, which of course leads to, the the final line of the movie where Harvey does in fact come back. You see the gate open and close and he says, well, I thought you were going to go with Mr. Chumley. What's that? Oh, well, thank you, Harvey. I prefer you to, um, you know, and it's it, like, it's a real crowd pleaser of a movie. I don't, I, I wonder how it would play for kids, but you know, I know as a kid myself, when I saw it again, by the time I saw it, this movie was, you know, 30 years old, uh, if not older, is older than that, I'm sure, 35. But even then, I felt like this is this is somebody worth emulating and looking up to because no matter how, like, it, like he's clearly an oddball. He's a weirdo. Elwood Dowd is in the movie, but he's such, like, he just can't be shaken from being true to himself, for, for being optimistic and kind and considerate and interested in other people like uh the dude at the bar who just got out of prison and he's like oh what have you been doing making license plate for the state how was that work you know was that interesting work that you did and, oh i can take it or leave it you know all that stuff it's just uh like really heartwarming in a way that 
you know, like we were talking about uh, um, movies like The Sadness being kind of dour earlier. Um, you know, Harvey is the anti the sadness of uh, a movie that is is eminently positive and believes in the decency and goodness of people and that that can be incredibly powerful. You know, even in the face of an institution like this mental hospital that he's being subjected to, that his his kindness and his decency changes the minds of everyone around him. And I, I think that's a really wonderful message. Yeah, I, I another word that comes to mind for a movie like this to me is like wholesome. It, you know, for the most part. I think this is a movie you could throw on for the whole family. I think everyone would get something out of it. It might be a tough sell on kids this generation if they're too young, just because they're thrown into like the modern digital world so soon, so quick, consuming so much. But I mean, as far as like the content, I think I, I think everyone would love this movie, um, unless you're just wrong. You know, and you're wrong. And <laughs> that may not. But <laughs> yeah. If, if but I think just, this is, a, like you said, this is very crowd pleasing to me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it because, uh, like I said, it, it this and It's a Wonderful Life are both movies that kind of taught me the lesson when I was a kid that, um, you know, just basic human decency is what's mm-hmm. important. And the fact that no matter how big a small or life you lead, it's the kindness and the effect that you have on the people around you that is your your true legacy. And so I, I, I find both of those movies to be like It's a Wonderful Life is a little bit more grim because, you know, at a, a certain point, Jimmy Stewart tries to commit suicide. Let's not forget that in that movie. But um you know, the, but the ultimate message is, is much the same of Harvey, which is you just have to be kind and decent to people. And if you do that with enough determination and persistence, that the world around you can change. And, I, you know, maybe there isn't a much better message you can give to anyone in the world that we live in currently, where everyone is so quick to point out everyone else's flaws and, and be so antagonistic that just being kind is somewhat revolutionary. Um, and I think it's almost like an important message for today's world because, you know, despite, you know, I look at it like this, you know, in a world of billions or just, if you, if you, lower that just to our country of multiple millions of people. It's, it's very rare. You're going to encounter people that are a hundred percent your same line of thinking on it, whatever it is, but just in general kindness is going to make a lot of stuff not matter as much. And I think that, you know, this movie leans into that where it, it's really the, your kindness and what you kind of put out there that is the factor and what can really change. Uh, you can change other people as well. Um, mm-hmm. if, if that's what they're inundated with and, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a very kind of uplifting 
movie at the same time too. Yeah, yeah. I I'm glad you liked it. I I hope if if someone listening to this who has never seen the movie Harvey gets to experience it and enjoy it for the first time, uh then, you know, that what what more can you ask for? Like that is the uh the real winner. Um, oh yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, it's it's terrific. But yeah, I I'm, I'm so glad you liked it. I I hope that you know, we can all be a little more Elwood P. Dowd uh, as we're moving forward. I know watching it again, it's sort of the booster shot for being nice to people, you know, of like, oh, yeah, right. I do want to, you know, be be a nicer, kinder person. Yeah, and anyone for or anyone that's looking for it, uh, I know it's up on archive.org. I don't know if it's in the public domain officially, but archive.org is currently streaming it. Yeah, um, and you, and it's for rent on like Amazon and a bunch of other places. There, you know, you you can if you want to see Harvey, you can absolutely see Harvey in a yeah, uh, definitely uh, available to rent. Yeah, excellent. Well, uh, you know, we've talked a lot of movie stuff today, as as well as this movie. But Bo, what are you currently up to, and where can people check out the works of Bo currently? Yeah, you can uh, hop over to legionpodcast.com. You can find the the three shows that I do there. Uh, Pick Six Movies, which uh, I do with my buddy Chad that I spend all that time editing. Uh, I, uh, there's that. There's Duncan and Boat Come Correct, which is me and Duncan McLeish from Podcast Under the Stairs, um, doing all kinds of things. Uh, currently, we are doing a series in which we are discussing all of the Pink Panther movies, which was Duncan's idea because I had never seen them. And oh, wow. uh, yeah, so we're going through all those right now. We just did Inspector Clouseau, which is the third chronologically. And it's the first time somebody other than Peter Sellers plays Inspector Clouseau. And it's uh, Alan Arkin is Clouseau in the movie. And it's, not a good movie, but it's fascinating. And we had a really interesting time talking about it. And, uh, and then there's the dark parade, which is, uh, the weekly show. There's a new episode at least every Wednesday, if not more. Although I am currently going back to school to get my license to teach. And so, uh, it has been primarily just a weekly show of late, but, there is a world in which once uh, I'm finished with school, I'll get back to doing a couple of episodes a week. And also coming in October, uh, check out legionpodcast.com and subscribe to that Legion podcast feed because I will still be doing the 31 days of October where I do a mini review every day of October leading to uh, Halloween in which we, you know, hopefully review a movie that is, uh, kind of special and perfect for the holiday. So um, we did, uh, or I did, the last year was The Exorcist, and I think the year before that was, uh, I'm trying to remember, it might have been the original Halloween, but I might uh, I might be mistaken about that. The, I think, oh, Ghostwatch was the, the first Halloween. So Ghostwatch, The Exorcist, and this year yet to be named, although certainly selected. So uh, all that stuff is coming up. You know, it's a spooky season is upon us. So I'm I'm certainly getting in the spirit. Me and me and the boy are about to start building PVC zombies. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. Out here is September is always kind of that weird month where I get to see everybody else like starting spooky season and I'm staring at like a hundred degrees on our weather forecast and I'm just like I, I can't bring myself to do it. Yeah, it's just too freaking hot. I I, I don't have the feeling it usually, you know, by the end of September we get into I guess like normal heat here, but God, it's still like heat wave worthy weather here. Yeah, yeah, you guys have have had it rough in the West. I mean, it's still in the 80s here, so it's not, you know, there is not a present chill to the air. But it's definitely going to be uh, chillier sooner uh, than than what you guys are seeing in the West. But yeah, like we're yesterday, I made the trip to Lowe's where I got all the pipe and everything. And it, you know, it's like, all right, well, we're going to we're going to do our first test zombie next weekend and see where we are if we've got all our measurements right and uh and then start the the goal is that we're gonna have two of them motorized so we'll Ooh. see how it goes yeah i'm excited it's gonna be a lot of fun to put those together and um so we're gonna try to put the first together next weekend and then make a trip to the uh the goodwill to get clothes for our zombies so that I, uh... Oh, I was just going to say, I, I still have a, it it's about from the torso higher, like a motorized zombie on wheels that we bought years ago. The motor has long died out, but I can, I still every year put it on the porch as like a stationary. Like I have like tombstones and like little creepy fences I put around to make like a mock cemetery. And I always mm-hmm. put the uh, now non-motorized zombie as part of the cemetery setup. So it's, it's still gets quite the use once we put up our decorations yeah the the idea is we're going to have a total of six zombies two of them coming out of the graves uh four of them approaching the house or at the house and then we've got uh you know screens and projectors to kind of project uh, against the windows and everything so it should be pretty good i'm very excited for uh what it's going to look like once it's all done so um yeah so uh, like all of september is the staging right like we're we're getting all of the materials and and starting to put things together and then as october begins we start to roll that out and it's probably going to be about mid-october before we put it up just so that if we're going to anger the neighbors it will be only for a couple of weeks because otherwise they're going to be staring for a month at, you know, corpses in the front yard. (laughs) Nice. Cool. Well, Bo, um, I want to thank you again for uh, joining me on this episode and uh, saying, Hey Mike, watch this movie. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. We'll have to uh, definitely get together in the future and, and do some more stuff, but uh Yeah, thanks again, and uh, to the listeners, thank you for listening, and I'll catch you back with another episode of Watch This Movie Mike.